And then the stone dog was licking chili out of his ass. Unbelievable. And then I think Ian Cranky punches oh, Paul Daniels at one point. It's like, I couldn't recommend Thank it highly enough. Welcome. We are Neil, Luke and Dave. 340-somethings reminiscing on the runners and riders of 90s guitar music. We look at the bands who soundtracked our youth on both sides of the pond and interview some of our heroes from the bands that defined a generation. You'll hear about the good, the bad and the ugly of 90s guitar music. This podcast is stupid and contagious. Episode 28 of the Stupid and Contagious podcast. So this one's a little bit different. We speak to Adam Foley, who made the Flawed is Beautiful documentary, the These Animal Men smash documentary, which is a really cool documentary. It's a really cool interview, actually. It's just a really cool, friendly chat in it about that scene. It's, it's really good, actually. It's a really good one. But before we get into that, oh, what's everyone been up to? Look, that haircut. Your face looks less uh, fucked and you've got a haircut. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the sunburn uh, went away. I had a haircut yesterday. I tell you, what I went to see yesterday. Um, I went to see Stop Making Sense, the uh, Talking Heads concert movie. Have you seen it? It's oh, often it's cited as the best concert movie of all time. So oh, it's like right. 83, 84. So it's filmed by Jonathan Demi. And um, they've done this like 4K like reconstruction and I went to watch it in IMAX and it was, I'd never seen it before. It was fucking amazing. It was, oh, it was so IMAX. good. Yes. He had the IMAX sound, right. And it's just huge screen and it was just cool as fuck. Yeah. Really, really good. Highly recommended. How, how many yen was that? Um, well, I went with my friend and it was Pear Monday. So it was right. 500 yen off each for Pear Monday. I thought you had to play with pears. <laughs> no, not the fruit. It was a pair of us. But you had to be a couple. You don't have to be a couple. No, we could have passed for a couple. You know, although he he's 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 got he's got his own boyfriend, so he probably wouldn't be happy about that. But yeah, yeah, we got got some cheap pair tickets. Wasn't the boyfriend jealous? I don't think so. No, no, you're allowed to I have friends. Be. Really? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I am, I am rather handsome. I'll grant you that, but um. No, I mean, it's just going to have friends, you know. Dave wouldn't have had it. No. He never yeah. lets Victoria out of the house. <laughs> no, he doesn't. <laughs> I know. You've got to have your boundaries. She's not allowed any friends. I wouldn't like no. her going to the IMAX with another guy. But if, if the other guy was gay, would that be okay? No. He's still not confused. <laughs> Why? <laughs> we might not be. Right. That's true. That's true. That's true. Might it all be a ruse. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just to nick people's wives. But yeah, stop making sense. Really good. Really good. Really oh, good. 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 Dave, how's the wardrobe coming on? Well, I'm not going to mention the wardrobe after last week. <laughs> well, I already have. Yeah, but that, yeah, that's finished. Finished? Yeah. Wow. Walking wardrobe. Eh? Stroke masturbatarium. Probably just got to get the accessories for it now, have you? I like stroke your use nothing. of the word stroke in there. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Neil? What have you been up to? I, I only glanced it last week, but I watched that uh, the Chilling documentary. It's not called that, mm. is it? The Farm one. What's it called? It's a short called. film about Chilling. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? I love all those dance docs from back in the day anyway. Uh, just yeah. people off their heads, isn't it? 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But yeah, I thought it was a really interesting documentary, actually. It was good fun. Good. Just catches that snapshot, doesn't it? Really well. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to have been around in that time and gone to Ibiza back then. There's a bloke in the documentary, he basically just sums it up. He says, I'm, I, I flip between being euphoric to being really depressed. <laughs> I wonder why that is. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's <laughs> funny, that. Yeah. Do you think you would have survived Ibiza 90, Neil? I was quite, I was quite careful in that respect anyway, if we're talking about substances. So I think I'd have been right. right. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm sure there were some casualties then. On to this week's episode, Adam Foley and the Flawed is Beautiful documentary. If you are watching this, then please do give it a thumbs up. Leave us a comment below. Let us know your favourite Smash These Animal Men track. Let us know if you've seen the documentary. Just start a general conversation. If you're listening, then please do rate and review this podcast. It really does help us. So if you could take the time to do that, we would really appreciate it. And if you haven't already, go and listen to the Ed Smash interview after this, because that is also a good one. Dave, you had a chance to watch it now. Do you pay the pound? Yeah, so you can rent it on Amazon Prime. And in case people don't know, they trick you. There's always an, a button with more purchase options, and there's usually a cheaper option behind that. Oh. So oh. you can rent it for oh. 99p. But yeah, really enjoyed watching that. It was worth your 99 pence. Every penny of it, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, me and Neil watched it together just before we interviewed um, well, Ed, Ed from Smash, didn't we? We watched it online together. Yeah, it's a good job we didn't tell Dave. He probably would have, he wouldn't have liked that, would he? Well, through jealousy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's <laughs> very, very possessive, isn't he, Dave? We didn't watch it in the IMAX, though, so it would have been all right. Yeah, so we, we've all watched it. It's a great, great documentary. But Dave, you probably didn't know much about those bands anyway did you before you watched the documentary or did you i can't know how much you were into them on not no i mean smash i listened to a fair bit through youtube but not these animal men oh that's right you don't like them do you why do you have to bring that up <laughs> oh you <laughs> don't is it true not my cup of tea really the thing is these animal men they won't they won't care that you said that because i don't think they'd really want someone who is going to go and see Tundi and Gabrielle on tour. They're not what they're the sort of their target audience, I don't think. That's all right. It's just that they don't really have any tunes that grab me. What? Really? Yeah. I know, I know, I know. Oh, man. I, I don't think they've got a bad song in their discography. Definitely. It's definitely a Luke thing, not my, not a me thing. Well, it's it's, it's what, what I always go back to, though, doesn't it? The music is subjective, and that is the beauty of it. It's amazing how one person can listen to something and and not hear the same as the other person. But that's what that is the beauty of music, right? Yeah, I suppose. I suppose that's fair enough, man. Um, do you want me to tell you tell people a little bit about Adam Foley? Yes. How did you How did you meet him? Well, I don't. I don't have a full rundown because it's not much information available um and i won't go over stuff he talks about in the interview but basically a uh, documentary maker slash music fan basically yeah, yeah yeah uh grew up in uh colompton in east devon um which is yes. near exeter 10 miles away from exeter tell him about the book 
Yeah, so um, he's a couple of years younger than us. Um, a year, we, I guess it's like 18 months to two years, I guess, younger than us. And yeah, 2013, he wrote a book about basically growing up as a music-obsessed teenager in the countryside in the 90s, basically, called... Straight out of Columpton. <laughs> Straight out of Columpton, Columpton, which is great. It is brilliant, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's worth it for that alone, basically. So yeah, he kind of had that, and then he then he thought about writing. The, he wanted to write a book about um, new wave, the new wave, and about smashing these animal men. And then he decided it's probably better to have it as a documentary because they've yeah. got this visual element that he thought would be missing from the book. And so he said, "Well, if no one else is going to make it, so I better do it." And so he yeah. did. So he made a documentary with no experience whatsoever. <laughs> It's yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. So I think um, we should just get straight into the, the interview with Adam Foley. Here he is talking about his documentary, Flawed is Beautiful, amongst other things. This is Adam Foley. Enjoy. Neil, do you want to explain the painting reference? Yeah, so, so we went on holiday in Paint and it was our first holiday away from parents in a... Uh, with our parents, uh, 1993, wasn't it? Yeah, I reckon. Yeah. 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 And, uh, yeah, we just... Legendary holiday in our minds. (laughs) (laughs) We didn't have any money or anything. We took some guitars, took some guitars, we smoked some cigarettes, and we had a lot of fun. Um, And our tent got destroyed in uh, in a storm, and uh, and we we didn't. Well, well, the story we didn't. We had tickets to see the Mannix, and our tent got destroyed, and so we had to go home, and uh, and we missed out on uh, on seeing the Mannix. So where were the Mannix? Key West Waterslide Park. I'm not sure where it was. <laughs> well, we did go to the water park. We, we did, did didn't we? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We took a pedlo out on the uh, on the sea in the. We did. We took a speedboat out. We yeah. did. Was it a speedboat? I don't, we we, yeah, we there was there was some out. some substances involved, I believe. But uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So do do you know paint and well? Do you? Yeah, yeah. I grew up um, in a town called Columpton, which is just up uh, up, the, up the M5. So Peyton was oh. like impossibly exotic to me because they, they had a zoo uh, with yeah, flamingos and stuff. Yeah. We still got to go and have a look yeah. at that. Well, there you go. Right. So that was a, that was a, that was a big day out. So I was um, yeah. I grew up in Columpton, which is just outside Exeter, and uh, it's like a little, little market, like quite violent market town. You know, pretty standard. Um, but yeah. we did have the advantage of sounding a bit like Compton, so uh, that, that, that helped. <laughs> it does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's you. <laughs> like that, you got. Like you wrote a book, right? Straight out of Columpton. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. How do you know about that? I did. I've done was, my research, um, man. So yeah, we yeah we've done our research. We've we we know all about your book. You, I couldn't get a copy oh of it though. Right, it seems so to be out of print. Well, that's there's a good reason for that. <laughs> I deleted it. <laughs> it was kind of, um, the book was written because it was. I guess it's a bit like what you guys are trying to do. That like, this is probably a better forum for it than um, than that. But mm-hmm. the idea was to try and get a sense of what it was like getting into music in a small town. And it was um, so I started on the day Kurt Cobain killed himself because there was a. Do you remember Radio One oh, wow. Sound City? Yeah. Um, yeah. When they would go to a city, yeah. and then and then you'd sit by the um, uh, by the stereo with all the blank tapes recording all the live sessions, and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
on the Monday they had Oasis just before Super, oh, the day Supersonic came out, and on the Tuesday they had Pulp, right? And Pulp, Pulp were a last minute substitution for Hole, and mm. Jarvis said something oh, really? like, I'm, 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 "I'm worried if you, you know, sorry if you think if you're expecting me to be blonde, but uh, Courtney couldn't make it because Kurt Cobain's like won't tidy his room or something like that." And then on the Friday we found out he had killed himself, and it was probably that oh. day. Right? Oh, God. so um. But, but it felt like a big, in retrospect, like a really big moment because you had um, all of those sort of like Britpop bands playing this this Sound City thing, and then Kirk Ben killed himself the back yeah. of that week. And then I, I went to see um, the Wonder stuff on the Friday, on the Saturday at um, Plymouth Pavilion, and, and and I remember I was standing outside afterwards, and everyone, you know, it was the construction for the Modern Idiot tour, right? So yeah. everyone came out wearing wearing T-shirts saying just saying idiot. I, I just thought, those, Do you know yeah. what? I, I, I was like, I don't want any part of this anymore. There's like a wave of people all calling themselves idiots. And that night I went home and uh, I just thought, I've got to try something different. And I was going through loads of like enemies and melody makers and I saw these animal men and smash. And I just thought, right, that's it. That's my new identity. I don't know what they sound like, but that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and find them and uh, and try that instead. So that was the, it was the yeah, that yeah. week was like a big, big change for me. Sort of going from sort of being a sort of like indie grunge kid into, into, into that sort of like new wave, new wave stuff. Yeah, I can't, I can't it sounds exactly what happened to us, right? <laughs> How old would you have been? Yeah, be about the same age. How old were you there in '94 then? '94, I was 16. It was yeah. 17, so, right? So, 17. Yeah, we were saying we were. Go on now. Uh, we, we, we were just big grungers. You know, we got heavily into the whole grunge scene. Um, yeah, yeah. And then we didn't really. Uh, well, I didn't really get into the sort of British Grebo scene. Like when it was, I was more into the sort of grunge scene. I got into that later with Senses Sings and all those sort of bands. Got into them sort of well around the same time as grunge, I guess, wasn't it? Mm. Grunge was. More yeah, there. I think. It, what were you? What well, were you I, listening I, to before? Before before you you uh, encountered Smash and, and all of that? What were you listening to? Well, so when, like, when I first saw music, I loved. I, I mean, I listened to my sister's records when I was a like, kid, kid. And then the first music I got into was like rap and hip hop. So I've, apart from the, I love the Petrol Boys, Petrol Boys and Public Enemy, and um, you know NWA, all of that. You know, I, I loved all that. But no one at my school, apart from a couple of mates, really liked it. And then all of um, all of the older boys were, like, had like uh, Doctor Martin Boots with Nez Atomic Dustpin logos on them and sense of things. And I sort of convinced myself that that was cool. And I kind of regret this because I sort of got out of hip hop and into that. And actually looking back on it, I think it was probably the wrong move. And then, um, uh, so, but it was always, I always felt like it was someone else's. And I was like an intruder into that scene because like I said, it was all the boys who were loving their senses things, like a C4, all that sort of stuff. And then, so I sort of felt like I was sort of trying it on in a way uh, rather than it ever being mine. And then when I found this sort of smashing these elements, there was no one else at school who was into it. So they're like, this is mine. Mm. You've got your own like, ready-made identity almost, you know. So it was like, um, and I don't know what it was about that. Maybe it was my behaviour, but it really pissed people off as well. This sort of like tight white jeans and eyeliner and all of that. People got really angry about it. And I like it's, that. It's, yeah. Well, I was going to ask about that later. But um, before that, so you said like um, you saw it in NME and you're like, fuck, this looks amazing. I mean, I, I used to do yeah. that on on a weekly basis. I mean, when you when you actually heard the music, <laughs> did it live up to like the the descriptions of of the whatever the live show or the single or whatever? That's a really good question. You know what? I, I, the first time I heard these animal men was on you know the chart show when they used to do like, the indie rundown, 
and you yeah, get like yeah. 10, like five, 10 seconds of each song. And they chose the bit in speaking, which is the sort of like, I'm back to home, man. And, and, and I thought that sounded amazing. And I was really gutted when I heard the full song, and it didn't all sound like that. <laughs> so I was kind of like, you get these little snippets and you try and convince yeah. yourself that other things kind of fell into it. I think like Shed Seven were grouped into it initially. And, you know, mm-hmm. it's a bit like, um, you know, when punk first came out and people could only buy reggae singles because there weren't that many punk singles out. Mm-hmm. I found myself like trying to, trying to cobble together bits. But I guess the first thing was the Smash Night, Spring 94 EP that I got hold of. Mm, I remember listening, yeah. to, listening to you guys talking about it, yeah, with the Jermaine Greer essay, reading mm. that on the bus. Oh, the fuck, man. Yeah. Just thinking, Jesus, yeah. my moment, you know, just blown wide open. And yeah. and then, um, yeah, Real Surreal coming out of the speakers, just just phenomenal, right? And then after that, I think I managed to get Babylon on 7-inch, uh, and that was just, mm. I just, that was what I was looking for. I thought it was, thought it was brilliant. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's just, but then just trying to find enough bands that sounded like that to cobble together one half of a C90 was pretty difficult. <laughs> right, that's true. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, compulsion, yeah, it was a small I guess. Scene, yeah. Mm. yeah, compulsion. There was always that more monarchy and basket yeah. case songs. And, yeah, great. Uh, Manta Ray, I think. Those sort of bands like Blessed Ethel and um, oh, yeah. Action Painting. But it's quite hard to get hold of the singles in Devon. I don't know what it's like for you guys. Uh, it's, we had one record shop in Seaford. It seemed to do all right. <laughs> yeah, but we used yeah. to go into we used to go into Brighton, didn't we? Yeah, we um, went to a lot of record fairs, didn't we? Well, that one yeah. we had a monthly record fair in Brighton. We went to where we got yeah. most of our stuff from. So you mentioned uh, the fashion uh, earlier. So, were you uh, a kind of a were you a sharp kid? Were you an eyeliner and tight Adidas? Yeah. Or were you a, a revolutionary chic smash smash kid? Which which side did you go? Yeah. On? Definitely the sharp kid thing, I'd right? say. So that was what I, was, I thought was really appealing. And I think, obviously, there's a lot of echoes of early Mannix, wasn't there? You know, so oh, yeah, there's still yeah. some stuff Absolutely. around. But was, I, I did this a lot, and it sounds like you did as well, Luke, but I would kind of I'd get into these things and then ceremoniously take all of my uh, like old records and sell them uh, uh, the Martian records and then get, like, 30 quid and then go and buy whatever the new fashion was. Right. So, um, you know, like, I'd go and get some, like, Chelsea boots and some white jeans and then... You know, there was a place called Sloppy Joe's where you could get the Adidas tops. You know, the, yeah. even though they're a bit stained because they were from some dead guy in the seventies. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, yeah. you know, you just try and cobble it together and go, right, it's it's Monday. I'm this now. You know, and yeah. that's that's one of the great things of being young, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely. And I think because we were we were in the sixth form at the time as well, so it was like the first couple of years where. We didn't have to wear school uniforms, so we'd, we were really sort of, uh, yeah, you could really sort of build your own identity and sort of show it off in the common room, which is what we did, really. Yeah. What yeah, and it, 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 it's hard to get, and especially when you're relying on charity shops. You know, I, I ended up with a few kind of outside suit jackets trying to look like Blur and Modern Life as rubbish and looking good. <laughs> yeah, you know, you just sort of try to cobble it together, don't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, a lot of people don't like the the new wave or the new wave tag. What's your what's your take yeah. on it? I mean, I didn't care at the time because I don't think you're that discriminating when you're like 16. You don't really care, do you? It's just like, here's the thing. Yeah. You kind of want it packaged together so you can identify with it. Um, otherwise, it's just a band that not a lot of other people like. So I remember using it quite a lot at the time. And saying that I was a new wave, new wave kid, which is faintly embarrassing looking looking back on it. But it felt like 
And like I said before, it felt genuinely the first thing I had that was mine and no one else's. And, you know, it, it remained that way. And when I, when I, was, when I was making the film, I, when I was first started talking to the bands, I was like, they were like, well, do you think anyone will be interested? And I said, I think there's like an invisible network of kids, all up and mm. well, no longer kids, all up and down the country had their lives turned upside down by these bands, but no yeah. real means of connecting with each other because they never played big shows where everyone came together. And I always thought that yeah. they were like, you know that thing everyone says about the Velvet Underground that like um, everyone who saw the Velvet Underground started a band. Yeah. I actually think that might be true about these Animal Men Smash. Mm. Like I think because yeah. they, they played in towns where the big bands didn't come and they looked so different. It was so easy to try and you know to try and do what they did. And I remember years ago I was in a band. Years later, and the lighting engineer or sound engineer said like contemptuously, "Oh, they just sound like these Animal Men," and I was just like, "That's the greatest moment." Yeah. <laughs> I was so pleased, uh, even though we did at all it was i think we just had white jeans on but it was um yeah there's, there's something about it wasn't there that the, 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 the people just really gravitated yeah. towards when you met yeah, someone else um, you knew that yeah when we spoke to ed ed smash that's what he said he said he's really happy that their band meant a huge amount to a, a small amount of people you know that was enough yeah, for him. yeah that's um, right i think that's true yeah. yeah what kind of bands were you in terrible ones Oh, uniformly terrible ones. So, I mean, a lot of imaginary ones. You know, like you're in imaginary ones at school where you sure. just like got a name, and then oh, yeah. you never do anything. Um, I was in a band called Spurt, I think. Um, I was in nice. a band called Pheromone oh. during Britpop, which sounded like a good. Um, we we never played a gig, but we were supposed to be one word. Our name was on a, our name was on a poster. And we went to the venue, even though we didn't have any instruments or songs. And then our frontman just got on stage and just went, "It's not easy being green," and that was it. That was our gig. Um, and then I was in, I was in lots of bands at university, but by the time I sort of like, I thought the whole Britpop thing kind of fell off in like the end of 95. And after that, got much more into dance music and back into hip hop. And, um, mm. so the music mm. I did after that was trying to get more in that sort of, that sort of direction. So we, you know, we played a few gigs with like, you know, trying to be the prodigy and these armed men at the same time, pretty ineffectually, yeah, but, uh, you know, that, that was the idea. That's kind of what yeah. Big Beat was, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, now you say it, I, I think my journey was fairly similar. Like, yeah, you had the Britpop, but it didn't last for long. I think people forget how how quickly that sort of came and went. And then I was listening to, yeah, a lot of dance music like Paul Oakenfold and Sasha and yeah. Weed and all that stuff. Well, you quickly yeah. realise the clubs are more fun, right? And the, I think the um, for me, like the Britpop, 1996 was like the death now for it because you had all the, all the good bands have released it their albums by then, you know, you had the Oasis one, the Blur one. Um, and I always think of it as a, an era rather than a scene as well, because I think you've got to think about like Tricky mm. Chemical Brothers and all of that yeah, yeah. as, as, as mm. left field as part of it. And then mm. 1996, I thought just like all the imagination and colour just went out of it. And you had like our Cooler Shaker and Ocean Colour Scene. And at that point, I just thought it was so, mm. wasn't even pretending yeah. to be new or pretending to be interesting. And I just, I, I couldn't be asked with it. Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Spice Girls were more interesting. They yeah, I love the Spice Girls. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 had a, I mean, so we. even Romo, I had a quick look at that. But uh, no, oh well, okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah. We had a Plastic <laughs> Fantastic in Brighton. They were one of the only Romo bands, right? So yeah. I like Plastic Fantastic. That's yeah. When they yeah. sound, it sounds like a hamster going mental in the chorus. <laughs> I used to see them around the clubs. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Did you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Trying to be rock stars. Yeah. I think That's I had right. a go at that. Again, I think I've sold some records to try and buy some sort of like snakeskin boots to try and uh, <laughs> try and cop a bit of action. 
<laughs> it's interesting that both of you said you went into dance music. I went kind of, mm. I went into like indie. I went into like Chemical Underground Records and all of that kind of like Scottish indie oh, and that yeah, when yeah. Britpop died. Yeah, you did. Uh, yeah, I right. did. I did. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Was that like um, you, you're, I'm going to think it's wrong. You're right, say Yatsura, and although the, uh, it's close enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I loved um, uh, speaking to somebody in Tokyo. Yatsura. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Arab strap and all that sort. Of Arab thing. strap. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Who I still love. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. No. Isn't there? I mean, I did I... about him. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah I think so. I think I saw that. Yeah. I thought that I saw there's one coming out about Mogwai, um, but I'd I'd like to see the Arab Strap one as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's yeah. get on to the the documentary. I haven't even talked about that. Yeah. yeah so, um, <laughs> how how did it how did it come about? Basically, the idea for making a documentary about these bands. Yeah. Okay. So what happened was so that book you mentioned before. So as part of it, I got in touch with the old men in Smash and sort of interviewed them a bit just to find out what it was like from their perspective, coming to Exeter or whatever. And then uh, I had like a big night out with Julian and uh, Hooligan uh, in front of these animal men, and it was fun. So we sort of stayed in touch. And then um, I was lying in bed a little while later, and I just, I was one of those things, you know, awake in the middle of the night, and I just thought, oh, someone should make a film about them because they were so visual, you know, and the, 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 yeah. the written words seemed like the wrong way to sort of, um, uh, to, to, to sort of communicate about them, really. And then I sort of went back to sleep, and then I woke up and thought, I should make a film about them. And then you got to realize <laughs> at this point I had no, I'd never picked up a camera. I didn't have any editing yeah. equipment. I didn't own a camera. I didn't know anything about it. So I went to see them on separate occasions. And I kind of I remember I went to the pub with uh, Julian and Bogue from the Gentleman and I had like a sort of beer stained A4 bit of paper. I sort of drew out how it would all fit together. I quickly realized, by the way, probably for a lot of good reasons, I sort of had a better memory of their. <laughs> their story than they did, um, which might have a lot to do with this, to, with recreationals or whatever. But awesome, and then man. you could sort awesome. of see this really cool narrative coming together. Like it's in, and, and and the way the bands release their records are almost like the same day or a week later from each other. Mm. They like completely tied together. And then I, when he started to look at it, there was this really interesting narrative of like smash with this band that imploded really quickly as soon as fame hit them, and then mm. came back together as friends. And then these old men have kind of like lasted a bit longer but then never really reconnected his friends or never reformed and their, their, yeah. their fortunes were kind of like entwined together but but sort of different different stories and smash had this sort of like integrity and politics and these young men were kind of more like surface level and kind of you know almost like mm. uh you know kind of flashy gimmicky and i just thought mm. it, it felt like such a good good story so and then it sort of went dormant for a little while what i thought of the implications of not knowing how to make a film and mm. I um, eventually, Bogue sent me some like DVDs full of clips and things, and it, was just, it actually broke the computer I had. Um, and then I went down to, I got a camera on my overdraft, and I went down to Brighton, just thought, I'm going to go and do this, and booked a pub called the Prince Albert. You probably know it, right? We know. We know the station. Yeah. Smash, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it felt like a good place to do it. And then um, <laughs> Julian, Julian yeah. came in, went around to his house, which was just the, the most mind-boggling. It, it's just like a sort of piles of MC5 records and like bits and bobs. And, you know, it's like a sort of like rock nice. and roll step type almost. And then um, we got there and then he had to show me how to work the camera that I brought to interview him, which was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but And then, um, so we got that sorted out. And then as he started talking, anyways, I had my friend Simon there and about, 
Parth and Harim, we looked at each other and realised we had something because every single thing he said was like a soundbite. It was just gold. Yeah. And it was, it was so we had to stop the camera because we were laughing so much the whole way through. And it was mm-hmm. just thought, I can, I can build something around this. And then he rang Steve, the drummer. We ran to Stevie's house, which is the opposite, by the way. It says a lot about why the band didn't work because it's just like a sort of, um, it was like a museum. You know, like in yeah. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it just says Cameron's dad is, you know. And it was this, like, you can see why if you put these two people in a tour bus, it's going to be a problem. Uh, but then... Ah, uh, we, we when, we, when me and Luke watched the... Sorry to cut in, but when me and Luke watched no, no, the no, documentary, no, we, we said the same thing, didn't we? we mm. They're very different people. Yeah. You know, really very different Really people. different. But then we all went down to the pub together, the, the heart and hand, and um, yeah. we, had a couple of, we had a couple of drinks, and... I suddenly realised, like, in the space of a few hours, we had this moment we sort of, like, reconnected people in the band together. And it was a really beautiful moment. And then um, we went to Stevie's house, and he just suddenly just brought out this box and gave it to me, just full of archive footage of, like, you know, the Phoenix Festival and everything else. And so I drove home that night just thinking, okay, this this can work. And then bit by bit, all the, all the, all the bits started to fall into place. You know, other band members got in touch and journalists, and, and it just kind of went from there. It just kind of grew and grew. Yeah, I mean these things they do. Well, really well nice. No, no, that's good. It's um, we found that from doing the podcast. You just never know where it's going to go. Do you know what I mean? You get your guests on, and then they start talking, and then they go down this other road that that because we, we had a Kermit from Black Grape on, <laughs> and that just went oh, down wow. a totally different avenue. But <laughs> it was great, though. You know, it was just that's one of the great. That's one of the great records of the era. Yeah, it's good. Oh, it's, it's great when you're straight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, such a great, yeah. Album. such a great. Album. And do you find with this now that you're doing it that like, um, you know, when you get an email from work, it tends to be like, oh god, what's this? But when you get an email about this, it's so exciting because you're these names oh, yeah, popping absolutely. up in your inbox, and you know, it's great. It's a great yeah. feeling, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. It's like you still can't believe you're doing it sometimes. And some of the people we've spoken to, it's just heroes from our from our youth. Yeah. It's crazy. Did really. you were you like that? Were you were you fanboying out the first time you were meeting them? Yeah, definitely, definitely. But I think, um, like, I wasn't nervous because it's it's kind of like my specialist subject. I was pretty, apart from you know, apart from you guys, I don't think I I know anyone who who, who was obsessive about the bands as I was. So I felt like I knew what I was going to ask. I knew the conversations, and, I, and there was nothing. I was nothing. I was kind of unprepared for. I think um, some of the interviews were easier than others. I will say, um, South was tricky to pin down for for a number of reasons, and. Yeah, there's some outtakes from that that will never see the light of day. But then, um, going up to Manchester to meet um, John Robb and Ben Myers, we did. How did you get them? How did you get them involved? Just you just just ask them, and then I think um, I think some people I can't remember exactly who, but some people would get in touch saying, "I hear you're doing this. I'd like to like to chat." But John Robb, I think, was the most inspiring hour or two of my life because he speaks so quickly. It's almost like the next sentence starts before the last one's finished and it's all mm. amazing right so it's hard to edit <laughs> because yeah, it's funny you should say that because i sent him an email yesterday to try and get him on our podcast so oh really fingers crossed oh, yeah 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 honestly you but that morning he'd been for a swim in a lake in the lake district cycled to this interview was producing a band in the evening and writing an essay and doing a gig you know he's just like this he's yeah. just well, he, he just speaks like he writes as well right it's uh yeah yeah, yeah, it was phenomenal. And then Ben Myers, who we also interviewed that day, 
It's gone on to become this amazing novelist, right? So he's, you know, he had a, a BBC show with Shane Meadows, The Gallows Pole, last year, oh. um, you know, winning loads and loads of prizes. His books are incredible. And Simon Price as well, you know, Simon Price just arrived with the, uh, in Brighton. You know, if you've been to the Pully Rocker Hotel, it's sort of, um, it's a sort of like rock and roll hotel on some one of those like Georgian places. And he'd, he'd arrive with these like sheets of paper and just, it would just like essays would just fall out of his mouth about the, about the bands. It was just, you know. So, yeah, I was just sitting there just thinking, um, this is just what a privilege to sit and listen to these people. And, and as, you, as you start yeah. to start to um, listen to them you, in your head, you're editing because you can kind of think, oh, that person said this and he's just said that. I can see how those two things are being yeah, yeah, put yeah. together. Like mm-hmm. Rick Blacksett from Top of the Pop said, um, he goes, I think it must have been such an overwhelming experience for bands coming on top of the pops. And then I interviewed Simon Price, and he, and he just said, it was a really underwhelming experience being you know, on top of the pops. Just, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a real, it's a real joy. You almost can't wait to get up and do it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So were you kind of learning how to do it as you went along, all the editing and all of that? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd never done anything like it before. So... Unfortunately, um, you know, I have to apologise to a few people like Dave Erringer, who produced these Animal Men's debut album, and Derek Fudge, which I could tell you the story about Derek Fudge, but he, he did the um, uh, Two Sus just behind you. Mm. And um, I didn't know, there's a thing called ISO on the camera, which is about how much light you let in, and they're in dark studios, yeah, and the footage was unusable. So yeah. I just wasted their time. Of course you do. You do wedding. You know, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I we all make up. mistakes. I we all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. That's how you learn, isn't it? Yeah. Just, just the way. But you just, um, so it's just never never got to use those. But Derek was like, um, and this is an amazing story. So Derek was, he had, he's got like one leg, right? And he had a motorbike accident in his 20s and his leg was, came off and he woke up on the tarmac and just sitting, thinking his life was over. And then after that, he became a sound engineer and he did these animal men's. That's his first sort of gig. And he learned how to become a sound engineer. He's now Coldplay sound engineer on tour and does oh, Paloma wow. Faith. So he's had this amazing second act in his life. Mm-hmm. And um, and as, as a um, sort of thank you to these animal men, he came and did the sound for the gig we did at Heaven and um, made it oh, sound wow. just like monstrously huge you know and it's just all this like, these amazing little bits of karma that come together it's, yeah but unfortunately i fucked up his interview <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, these things happen they do they do have you got any uh personal favorite moments in the film no, i haven't seen it for such a long time um i'll tell you um, one thing there's one thing that bugs me was the beginning opening sequence you know it's like um you've got um these, uh, you've got a hooligan kind of sitting on the drum riser at the Phoenix Festival, and it's you've got that narrative about how oh, yeah, I yeah, didn't know yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, it was footage from the Monkeys film Head, because that's where these animal men got their style from. There's a moment where um, Davey kind of falls from, or Mickey Delenza, I remember, who falls from the Golden Gate Bridge, and he's wearing the uh, bootcut um, uh, corduroys and mm. the uh, Adidas gazelles. And a white top and the same haircut, and that's where they got. That's where they cribbed the style from. Right. So we had this kind of brilliant image of him like falling from, you know, while they talked about the fact and everything, you know, the bands were doomed, and you saw this person just falling through the air. But the the monkeys just wouldn't wouldn't play ball. So that that still uh, that still bothers me um, a little bit. But I think um, my favorite my favorite. There's not many of them left now, though, is there? No, 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 no. You, no, might, no, you, no, might, no, you no. might get lucky. You might be able to re-edit it when they've all gone. Do the 10-year 10, 10 anniversary edition with the... Um, probably got it somewhere. 
I think my favorite bit is the um, the trip to New York. I think that's um, uh, mm-hmm. it, it makes me laugh every every time because it's just like such a ridiculous story, and it's just the way it unfolds. I think it's especially with these animal men getting pissed off and you know not being able to you know was it Paddy says he drank a liter of rum and can't get you know yeah. they, they, the customs officer goes can you step forward and he goes I can't, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think in that is the um, is the story of the two bones because you've got these animal men. They all they both get offered what four hundred quid to not get on the flight, and these animal men That's take right, it yeah. and they go and get they go and go and get shit faced. And Smash yeah. like no, we're going to go over there and do the gig, and then right. these animal men make a sort of like ridiculous story, and then gets made into a book and all the rest of it. And then Smash actually it, they they do the right thing, but then get undone by the fact that I think uh, there's a lot mm. of drugs in New York, and that causes them mm. causes them a problem later on. But I think in microcosm, it's a really nice nice bit of, of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I loved about it as well is because when we spoke to Ed, um, he was saying like, um, when he saw the South interview, that was the first he mm. knew about like how they felt about Ed on drugs and stuff. And it, it's really interesting that he he mm. never he never he never really knew how it had affected the rest of the band. Kind Seen of it from their perspective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was really apparent, actually. So um, Ed was one of the last interviews I did. The last was Rob. Um, and they I was really worried when I was making it because Smash kind of held out quite a lot because the, they quite early on, they got me to go and record, film them in the re- rehearsal studio. And it was like they, I was like they were interviewing me. It was like they were mm. uh, vetting me for a long time before they would actually, would they actually speak. They're very much more private people. And um, yeah, yeah. Ed, 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 I, did, I remember going to the Arctic Monkeys in Finsbury Park the day I interviewed Ed later, and we spent ages just talking and talking and talking before we press record. And it, it was very apparent that he hadn't really spoken about his drug problems before, like openly. Mm. And then he sort of alluded to it. You know, I remember reading interviews he talk about the chaos of addiction or whatever. And I remember when he actually used the word heroin, it was quite a shocking moment because I don't think. He, he he was just dancing around it before, and after that yeah. point, we started started to he started to really open up about it. And it, but I was aware that it was it was new, and you know he, he hadn't really sorted it out with the band. They just got back to like like blokes do. You just sort of sweep things under the carpet, don't you? And just yeah, get on yeah, with yeah, it and don't yeah. think. So yeah. yeah, I was I was definitely aware of that. And I think Rob in particular is a very sensitive. Deep waters kind of go, and um, that interview was like I said, it's the last one, but it was it was it was it was, it was heavy, and um, you know, we had to stop the camera quite a few times. Mm. Yeah, mm. that's wow. interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, as an extension of that question, do you have any personal favourite moments in the process of making the film that didn't make it onto the film? If you know what I mean. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know if I can talk about all of them. I mean, there was one thing that isn't in the film that was in the original cut is um, I thought a good ending would be to get these animal men to come back together because they hadn't reformed at that point to do the song High Society. I don't know. Yeah, High Society Slight Return. You know, the one at the end of the album that talks about trying not to come back, just to have a little fun. So I booked out a rehearsal studio in Brighton and we did it and we filmed it. and. the day before they did a little rehearsal, it's the first time all four of them have been in the studio together again. Mm-hmm. And me and Paddy went for a few beers first because he was nervous. And then I walked in and there they were. It was these animal men playing 
in a rehearsal studio, you know, and uh, you know, it's all thing look like an underground toilet in um, just off one of the main roads in Brighton. And I just thought, God, how lucky, how lucky to be there at the moment where they got back together after 20 odd years and mm. to, to witness it. And then it, there was a moment they started playing live support machine. At first it was a bit chaotic and they played live support machine. It just clicked. And it just sounded, they sounded amazing. And That's just my thinking, favorite what track, I think. Is it? Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I it's just, so. it's, it's yeah, a phenomenal it's song, isn't it? And then it was just like, they all looked at each other and smiled. And I remember that night walking away and then looking back and seeing them all together, just chatting and just thought, this has been a really good thing. We've brought those people back together and that's a, that's a nice moment. So that was, that was, that was a really, really, really good thing to do. Yeah. That was, that was, that was a personal highlight. And then we went out the next day and got really pissed. And that was quite funny. Just been out with the band and, you know, just thinking, what does your 16 year old self think now? (laughs) It's a question you should often ask yourself, I think. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well that's why we yeah. do every week right when we're doing this podcast yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly that so neil said exactly life support that. machine have you got a favorite uh these animal men track uh i find it hard to say um i think probably babylon now you know i think this i think it's, a, it's an incredible story and i think the one thing i keep whenever I drunkenly try to explain to them what I like them, I think that this, the, the dynamics in what they do are so good, like the interplay between the, the drums and the, the, the guitar and stuff. It's like a real kind of explosive, uh, uh, you know, kind of dynamite thing going on, I think, when they play together. And I think that's 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 got it in spades. But the answer would be different every day. Although I listen to it, I listen to them a lot during the, the film process, you know, so maybe uh, I've, I've had a little mini break, shall we say? Um, but mm. I think for Smash, uh, my favourite song is Art Therapy, off the last record. That's a good song. I think, uh, yeah, it's oh, good interesting. Song. I think it's brilliant. Yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I listen to that all the time. It's great, isn't it? And it's, I, I think um, lyrically, there's a lot in there that you know, having met them, it, it, it kind of hits home a bit more. I suppose we, we made a video for it as well. Actually, we um, um, we went down after, just after the film went, uh, was finished. We we, we went and did a, a some kind of massive house in Battersea or something. So kind of, um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think uh, I've, I've got to be careful because I've been accused of too much bias towards these animal men. And actually, I love bands, uh, both bands equally. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I, I think Smash were going to some really interesting places with 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 the late music. So I'd love to love to hear more of that. Yeah, yeah. I like that because yeah. Um, yeah, that album w- with art therapy on it, it's really good. Um, it's not like they just come back and made a shit record. It's it's a really good album. Um, people should definitely really check good it out as well as the other stuff. Yeah, and somewhere I've yeah, got I a to... load of because I went I went down to the studio and filmed a lot of the making of that. Um, so I've got I've mm. got that somewhere. But I don't know. Have you? There's been a few house plays from then. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah no, Are you planning to do anything with it? You're gonna put it out at some point? I don't know. I mean, like I say, it's all on sort of like hard drives that I'm not entirely sure where they are and um, probably aren't compatible with anything anymore. But I've, I'm sure maybe Ed's got some of that. I don't know, but yeah, probably worth digging out. There's some, there's some mm. good stuff there. And you know, now you know it's kind of the last thing they all they all did together because Sal's in the studio. Mm. Definitely got some like live footage of them playing some of the some of the tracks as a three piece. Wow, yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, the film the film kind of alludes to the fact that uh, that very short lived new wave of the new wave scene kind of paved the way for Britpop. Britpop. Mm. Is that is that what you think? Is that, that what you think? Yeah, I do. I think it was a bit of a trial run for the mm. music press in particular because I think um, 
I don't know, since like 92, probably, you know, like Way, Diota, St. Etienne, and they were mm. sort of, Music Press was becoming aware of it. It's probably swayed most of all, right? The, you know, the, the, yeah. the best new band yeah, in Britain. Yeah. You know, yeah, their ability yeah. to sort have more of an influence over the mainstream than it had before. And I think, um, without wanting to get too too deep about it, I think probably with like rave culture and stuff, what you had was a, a lot of younger TV execs and younger people taking up prominent positions within the media that were probably more connected to what was in Enemy Sounds and Select, um, Enemy Melody Maker and, and, and a Select magazine, and had the um, uh, the kind of capability to kind of to kind of move things forward a lot faster because typically the mainstream would respond to stuff that happened four years before, and you know, so I think that that, that, that gap was shrinking, and I think that yeah. when a couple of those bands started to, to have an impact, and you know, Rick Black saw Ring at Top of the Pops putting them on. Uh, on there and the old you know i remember remember who said it said that the whole office stopped and watched them on and uh, play on top of the pops and you thought oh we did that so Mm. and then i think rightly or wrongly um you know the the perception was they were kind of better bands to play that bands are more equipped to play that game with you know and i think Mm. i can't remember if this is in the film or not but julian talks about oasis and he was just like liam could sell out the historia by himself just standing there and he said mm-hmm. Oasis were more equipped for bigness than than um, uh, these other men in Smash were, and Blur certainly were. You know, they're incredibly mm-hmm. ambitious bands. So I think when you the, the, the kind of ability to do that, and then when you're equipped by bands who are kind of like more willing participants, when you put mm-hmm. all that those two things together, I think that's what that's what made Britpop blow up in a much bigger way. But you know, I do think there are a lot of um, yeah, there's a, little, a bit of trial. I mean, you, you could compare the speed king front cover to the you know remember the pulp had the um, the pulp the rap uh, the, yeah the rap thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah yeah exactly you know there was um yeah. uh so i i think i think it was definitely a bit, a bit of a template being formed yeah and then a lot of the clothes as well right yeah oh yeah yeah with the yeah. adidas yeah 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 mm. that's really interesting yeah. what you say about top of the pops um i mean we, we talk about it a lot on the podcast it, it seems to come up all the time right and i thinking back yeah. at that time it was always like you know it's like you know men's where we're like the first band to appear without a record do you know bis were the first band without a single out this kind of like all these like firsts that were coming around that time so i think what you're yeah. saying is true they were taking these risks which was helping to you know create the scene you know it's interesting i think that's true but it's, it's interesting isn't it there's kind of like um uh it's like moving the boundaries because it becomes like the first unsigned band who hasn't had a demo or that qualification yeah um, exactly they quite- keep making it more specific yeah <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. Yeah, I'm not sure what it's made this different from menswear because menswear had a single out, didn't they? But you know, I was, I, you know, I was, I was all ready to become a menswear fan um, when when that happened because again, I've just seen the photos and I haven't had the music. I just thought they looked great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I love it. We, we, yeah. we went to see them, didn't we? Yeah. We went to see menswear. Yeah, yeah. I saw them a yeah. couple of times, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I, I got so you mentioned. You got <laughs> say that again. I got told to fuck off by Chris Gentry once. I think. Yes, it's a claim to fame. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, my biggest claim to fame is I interviewed Pulp on uh, local TV because my mate, um, they played at the Exeter uh, University Great Hall. This was like just on the different class tour. And my mate Simon was supposed to be interviewing them and he uh, couldn't be fucked. We had like, just couldn't dig it out of bed. And um, so I didn't have tickets to go and see Pulp. At that time, it was like, you know, it's like eight quid for a ticket to a gig right or like or a cd and i think i bought a cd that week instead with my money from burger king my wages and um so I, my plan was to drive to the venue and then hide inside the toilet 
um, until the doors opened and then just come out. And anyway, I got bored after about three minutes because it's really boring sitting in a toilet in the middle of October, it turns out. And then I walked into yeah. the main lobby. And there yeah. was um, uh, Russell and Jarvis. And they just said, this girl, girl, girl came over to me. And she was just like, are you the guy who's meant to be interviewing Paul? And I just went, well, yeah. So they just put me in front <laughs> of the camera. And I just sat there. And they go, have you got your questions ready? I was just like, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, and I started interviewing them. And I was just like... <laughs> are you really gutted because you've just been beaten to number one by Simply Red? That must feel like really awful. And then, <laughs> um, you know, what underpants do you wear on stage and all this sort of stuff. And they were, they were like getting into it. And then they, they, the interview finished. They went, oh, great. Thanks very much. And they did go out on TV that night. And um, they, they gave me a ticket to the gig and the after show. So it worked out well. Amazing. Amazing. It's <laughs> great. Your mention of money made me um, remember I was going to ask about you. You financed the, the documentary through crowdfunding. Is that right? Mm-hmm yeah that's right yeah i mean it was <clears throat> i wouldn't recommend it. i wouldn't recommend it as an experience uh i felt mm. nerve every day just pressing refresh to see if any more money had come in because what happened was um obviously it was quite cheap to make i think you can see that in, in the footage we just sort of like begged borrowed and stole you know venues to, you know to, to free really and obviously the bands will get their time and journalists so it's it very little it's quite low budget but then uh, the record label got involved, Universal, who owned, you know, the Virgin mm. labels that they were on. Mm. Then. Mm. And they were just like, I want, we want 30 grand for the use of the music. And um, yeah, I was like, but yeah, I, I, I sort of kind of get it because you, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're not going to get 30 grand's worth of um, interest in the bands. They're probably not going to fucking die. Yeah. yeah, that's the only chance to make money off it. So usually it seems to promote the bands or get them back together or anything like that. They probably wouldn't see anything on it. But it was a big number to to, to swallow. And then it became like, shall I take songs out? Or like, mm. you know that thing where they sometimes in documentaries they put like sound alike stuff and I just couldn't bear the thought of it. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, oh, yeah, that's worse. That's grim, isn't it? Yeah. It's like that film yeah. Curtain Call Me, the Nick Broomfield one, and it's just sort yeah. of like yeah. the sound. It's terrible. And I just thought, oh, part of what I want to do with this was to try and reintroduce them to the world and, you know, do justice, I thought, mm. to the, the, these brilliant bands so that people could discover them. So that wasn't an option. And I just thought I couldn't have less songs. And so I just, we went to see this crowdfunding, people pledge music. I think they don't even around anymore. And then mm. we sort of, there's a, you, you know, you always get this, you get an initial flurry in day one, you feel really mm. confident because you've a load and then it comes down from there. Then you have like little, little little bits if you put trailers out but i was a long way from yeah. the target and then this amazing thing happened i got back from glastonbury and and it was a bit twitchy <laughs> and i was worrying about the film and this guy got in touch on the facebook group and just this like complete angel guy called thomas stone just said he had some money from a situation a bit, you know it's a very sad situation and he wanted to put it into the film and I tried to talk him out of it for a long period of time and gave him a lot of time to think about it. And he, and he loved the bands and he changed his life and he wanted to, he, and he closed the gap and it was like the last oh, wow. day of the um, campaign and, oh, and, wow. and, and then it got done. Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So we got there in the end, but it was, a, it was a, a terrible experience. Yeah. And it was nice seeing, I think you put the names in at the credits for all the people that contributed and stuff though. That's, um, yeah, but, you know, it's a really beautiful thing, you know, it's nice. Yeah, nice. it was just, 
it was te- I just knew I was going to leave someone out at that time. <laughs> I checked that list about 40 times, I tell you, because I just thought someone's going to be really irate and sad that they weren't <laughs> on there. But yeah, and then, and really then nice the we did a um uh, a kind of like special screening for them if you paid for like the deluxe package. And then yeah. we got the band to reform again and play again. And that's the that's the last these on Wen gig, actually. They played like four or five songs. We did an auction of loads oh. of their like old t-shirts and stuff afterwards for charity. Mm, yeah. Brilliant. Um Brilliant. can I can we just ask how the bands felt about the document? Did they did they like it when it came out? Did you get did they all give you a high five? Yeah, yeah, actually, you know, Ed 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 sent me a really nice email afterwards. We mm. we got into a session, we were talking anyway. You know, it was it was definitely wasn't a night never meet your heroes thing. So there's a lot of WhatsApp. No, we've never we've never found that. We've yeah, everyone never we've spoken to has been well, people say don't meet your heroes, but everyone we've spoken yeah. to has been fucking amazing. <laughs> yeah, I've got a few episodes. Everyone has been so nice and open with their time, and yeah. you know, and and I think people have maybe it's different if you're like Oasis, but actually feeling like pleased that people care and pleased that people want to hear about this, you know, this thing you've done in your life. I think is is, is nice, right? And I think it was. Oh. Um, I think there were a few moments for some of the band where they were watching with their like hands between their eyes, sort of thing. But I think we 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 did a little tour. To try and raise money for the pledge music, where we we took the film out in about like a four-day tour, and so the bands had seen it quite a lot. You know, that was that was a lot of fun, um, and so I think I think we kind of got over the worst. Bits. And I, 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 for, for Paddy, found it quite difficult. I think because he had quite a, you know a teenage girl, and he was he was really I think you can see it in the film. He was really embarrassed about the Speed King stuff in particular. You know, he's just like, right. he just, he, he, it's a sort of like constant shame and embarrassment to him. But I think um, overall the reaction was great. And then we went on to do the, the gig at Heaven as well. That was, that was like a moment, really. It's just, you know, for them to play to the probably, the, you know, the biggest non festival um, uh, gig they, they, they played was, was, a, was a wonderful thing to, to sort of put the icing on it. Yeah. Mm. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, all right, we won't keep you much longer. We've been been a long time already. Um, well, we you may if you've listened to a couple of episodes, you you may know that we we when we have musicians on, we usually ask um, what other band they would have liked to have been in. Now we're not as you said, you we, you don't want to be accused of bias, so we're we're not going to ask you to choose between <laughs> smashing these animal no. men. But but <laughs> so 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 which band apart from these animal men and smash would you would like would you would like to have been in from from that time? From that time, oh my god, um, that's a really, really good question. I think Elastica um, was oh, so nice. cool oh. um, that I, I, if it had to be a new age of new age band, if we can call them that, I think, I think, I think sure. yeah, I they were they were great. Um, they're really cool. I, I don't know. I'd like to have been in the Prodigy. Uh, Happy Mondays would probably be quite a lot of fun <laughs> as well. Yeah. But um, I think um, uh, you know Elastica they were having the most fun, certainly at that point. Anyway, yeah, and they That's looked great, didn't they? They looked amazing, Elastica. Yeah. yeah, actually, I feel bad. I wouldn't want to take anything away. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to replace any of them. So maybe. Uh, maybe <laughs> that's a, yeah. Ah, you would have fit right in. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Thanks, Lee. Um, all right. So, I mean, how can people watch the documentary? What's the best way for for people to watch it if they've uh, seen this and want to watch it? Well, there's um, sometimes in Prime, and um, so taking the price down, so I think it's about one pound ninety nine. Um, and then there's a pile of 
DVD somewhere, the warehouse somewhere. That one is in here, which I think you, you, you can still available for sale as well. For, I think that's only three ninety nine as well. So a, a low budget FR all around. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, um, it's definitely worth you, a watch. Are you writing oh, any thanks, books or making any more films at the moment or anything in the planning stages? No, I've got, um, I've got a lot of half-finished things, but not really about music. One's a sort of like um, a screenplay about the Crankies. If they, <laughs> by the early days of the Crankies, and then they save the world from World War III. Um, that's good that. to me. Do you know what? Yeah, the Crankies are responsible for one of the... They're the turning point in my life. The, are they? Why? The day, the day I found out that Jeanette Cranky was not, in <laughs> fact, a, a, a cheeky Scottish schoolboy, but was a, a woman in her mid-30s. I, 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 didn't, I didn't trust anything after that. If that wasn't <laughs> no. true, nothing's fucking true, right? Well, I'll tell you what, if, if you've read their biography, Fan Dabby Dozy. <laughs> I, mean, I, had, I had the album, Fan Dabby Dozy. If that, if that, if that, if that blew your mind, the biography will blow your mind into shreds. It's when they do like swinging and shit like that. Was that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's got, you, you can open that book at any page and it'll say something like, and then the stone dog was licking chili out of his ass or something like that. And it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's, Unbelievable, and then I think Ian Cranky oh, punches man. Paul Daniels at one point. It's like I couldn't recommend Thank it highly enough. Oh man, I'm writing <laughs> that down. I'm writing that down. That's going. That's going on the Amazon list immediately. Don't listen to anything else from this whole conversation. No, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. Well, documentary, <laughs> whatever, whatever. <laughs> that's that's the that's the real one that he's making. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. And is there any any way people can keep up with developments, or they can get on the uh, Florida's beautiful Facebook page? It seems to be still pretty active, right? Is it okay? So I've because I've taken I've come off Facebook, so I think it's Bogue just doing that now. So I've not seen it for a long oh, time. Okay. So um, so it's it, it, it's got a proper official person uh, running that now. Um. All right. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to stop the recording, but don't don't run away Thanks, just God. yet. So there we go. There was Adam Foley uh, talking about his documentary and just having a general chat about music, which was lovely. Knowledgeable bloke, funny guy. Yeah, I like when he was talking about his um, his bands that he was in, or they were they weren't even bands; they just thought of a name. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> it yeah, one I called Spurt. That's said. it. Spurt. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great name for a band. And you put, oh, that, that, yeah, puts uh, Richard Helen the Voidoids in your brain, right? Love comes in spurts. I don't know. I haven't got a clue what you're talking about. Okay, I put it on the. I put it on the. I put it on the playlist. There Richard Helen the Voidoids, man. Love comes in spurts. One of one of my favourite songs of all time. Whatever you say. I think um, I I basically I identify with nearly everything he said, especially in like the early part of the interview. Um, being, I was exactly that kind of you know music fan obsessively reading enemy in the 90s and yeah i just identified with pretty much well, everything you were saying yeah the, i mean i think you are very similar people you're very knowledgeable about music uh very into into the scene and, and do your research he seems like the same similar sort of guy it's, it's um interesting to speak to someone who's the same sort of age because we've mostly been speaking to people that are a little bit older so we're we're mm. actually older than him it's an interesting dynamic. It's just like talking to a mate. We'd never spoken to him before, but he's a really nice guy, really easy to talk to. 
again, I like the fact he he was very open about you know for him it was it was it was about the music, but it was also about the style and looking mm. good. And I think a lot of people that claim to be like you know music music fans and music music experts, they're really they they try to kind of get this impression as if you know they're not interested in all of that and it's all about the music man and he's like no nah, man i just wanted to wear like white jeans and you know look look cool and i i love i co- i totally agree i i i think the aesthetic is almost as important as you know as the music itself you know so i like that about what he was talking about he said about he actively sought that out he fact he did find other scenes like Britpop was just starting out but he thought no no like everyone's doing that i want something that's mine and mm. that's when he come across the new wave of the new wave smash and these animal men and those sort of bands yeah and he thought i finally found something that i can get into and dress like and everyone else isn't doing the same which yeah. is what he was looking yeah. for so that's yeah cool. but yeah that that's it, exactly what you're at saying. the time do you think those two bands really saw each other as sort of sibling bands you know i think they did because i was thinking how they really quite different mm, and he talked yeah. about that really well in the interview didn't he um yeah i really like the way similar. he kind of put the dichotomy there you, you think he said like smash had this kind of like this kind of bit, bit more of a depth to him and like integrity mm. and the political thing going on and that these animal men were kind of a bit more surface and flash and you know rock and roll uh, and that was fine they were both kind of comfortable with that but i think i mm. think i think they were they were kind of put together right from the beginning um like they released a kind of a split single it was um the first ever release on fierce panda um records right. was a a smash in these animal men um yeah. kind of split so they were kind of pushed together right from from the start and i think their their fortunes intertwined so i th- yeah i think they do but yeah they are they are different right similar but different i guess is is the answer to that one what does that what does that mean <laughs> <laughs> they said that <laughs> You sound like someone it. off The Apprentice. <laughs> I was watching that the other day, and they just several times they kept come up coming up with complete oxymorons. Yeah, they, right. they are. Got, they are oxymorons. What were they? What are their team names? Their team names are often the shittest thing you've ever heard, aren't they? they they're like oh, the yeah. most cliched, obvious. They, you know, they yeah. come on. Yeah. One's got to be oh, called like Fusion or something. Yeah, That's yeah. I need to. I'll have to look it up. I can't remember. But All right. They won't. They won't disappoint. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to Google it. Hang on. <laughs> I want to know this season team names. I've got them all up to the up to 2012. Give us a couple of highlights. Invicta. That's quite a yeah. good one. Stealth. Renaissance. <laughs> oh. Ignite. Ignite. Ah. Oh, bit of energy. Synergy. That is the that is the worst one. Phoenix. They do they do sound like gladiators without the uh the racial stereotype. Endeavour. Evolve. Oh. Oh, Endeavour, I remember them. What a terrible show. Synergy is my favourite. That's the cheesiest, yeah. most obvious fucking <laughs> corporate shite you could ever think of. Yeah. That's great. I'm still not sure if it's real or not, though, The Apprentice. They can't be that stupid. But then they're a bit like the Tories, aren't they? Like, they're quite clever people, but they've got no clue about practical things. Yeah. So I guess it is true. Yeah, I think you have to be a Tory to be allowed on it by Alan Sugar. (laughs) Yeah, you're probably right. He doesn't like left-wingers. He pulled himself up by his bootstraps. 
why can't the rest of him? I really like when he was talking about, well, I think I was talking about him more, but um, making decisions about what bands you like just based purely on the description in NME. Because there's no way to hear it, right? You had to go by the description only. I did that with I mm. so many bands I can, can't even count. You had to take the plunge. You had to buy it or not, you know? Well, yeah, unless they were been on top of the pops and you didn't really know did you i mean they might have no. they might have appeared on might have appeared on the chart show or something but even then you might only know one of the <clears throat> 10 songs on the album and it's just mm, yeah to roll the dice yeah well yeah or you could go to the uh hmv listening post yeah the listening yeah. post and, and see if you could get their album and listen to it in its entirety but it was always occupied oh yeah. yeah everyone trying to do the same thing so I think I got pretty skilled at were, uh, to kind of judging what bands were just like overhyped nonsense and which ones were actually going to be good just from, mm. you know, doing it so much. Yeah. So I guess it's it's the opposite to what people do now. People hear a band and, and then they make their decision. But before you never didn't even hear the band, you just made your decision on the, on the look and the vibe. Yeah. And the, and the music journalism. That's what mm. I relied on. So, it's, you know, people make their own decisions now, don't they? So maybe it's better in that respect. About the documentary, you got a nice selection of music journalists on mm. there. Yeah. You really added yeah, a lot good. to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that John Robb's brilliant. I really like to get him on. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get him on. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. But music, like, like I, I, didn't, I didn't read The Enemy. I, I literally studied The Enemy. I, I read mm. every single word, even on the adverts. You know, it was like studying it. It was, it was just, I don't know, man. It was just, it was important, you know. Well, it's a different world, wasn't it? People used to get um, band members through The Enemy. You'd put an advert in the back. Yeah. Know. Basis wanted, yeah. It's, it's mad to think about it now, that that's how you, you went about it. But yeah, I guess it was always bassist or drummer wanted. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> There's never enough drummers to go around. That's the thing. No. Oh, man, I wish I'd learned the Very drums. skilled instruments. So do I. <laughs> yeah. It's the most fun of all the instruments, I reckon. Because oh, you can just, just beat the shit out of them. Yeah, yeah. it's really hard, really hard to, to, to play the drums well. I think playing the drums, A, you're at the back... You're not that, look at me, look at me, I'm I'm the drummer. So you've got to have that in you. Unless you're Phil Collins. Yeah, unless you're Phil Collins. Yeah, I guess you just want to be the person who's, who sits at the back, but really driving the whole song without the recognition, really. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, it's a strange sort of instrument to choose to want to do, I guess. But I, I think it's, it's great. I love it. The old drums. I wish I could play it. Yeah, or you can be like the guy from Rush and have like a ro- rotating drum kit and all of that shit, right? This week, I I just happened to watch um, Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap. Spinal Tap. Yeah, I was watching that this weekend as well. It's this yeah. documentary. It was just funny to um, watch them side by side because they follow a similar story. You know, <laughs> right. both of them have the the British band going to New York. Right. Uh, mm. A part of the reason why Spinal Tap is, is so good is because it is very accurate. Although it's a spoof, I think that is how a lot of bands sort of behaved back then. It's yeah, like, I mean, with these animal men, you know, just get taking, not, um, they overbook the flight, so they get offered mm. the money to stay behind and they just get paralytically drunk. 
Yeah. And <laughs> that could have been a spinal tap feel. They definitely turned up to 11. Yeah. That's good, that spinal tap. I do like it. I like it when they get stuck in those little, um, one of them gets stuck in that little sort of pod, that oh, alien yeah, pod that they come good. out of. Yeah. Bass player gets stuck, doesn't he? Yeah. And he only gets <laughs> out when the other two get in. So he has to run back in again. It's good. There's this ongoing thing of, you know, how their drummers just meet with nasty Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Didn't this be a band in Eastbourne called Bizarre Gardening Accident? After that. It's <laughs> a good name, though. <laughs> I think so. And um, we managed to get like a little reference to the Bright- Brighton Record Fair in, in the interview, which... I just, I often wonder if that's still going. I used to love going there. It was good, wasn't it? It was great. Yeah. Was that yeah, the Brighton yeah. Centre? Yeah, Brighton Centre, yeah. Loved that. That was like the highlight of my month, I think. Hours. Spent hours in there. Have you still got records you bought there? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I sold a load of records this week because I've been doing up this room. I sold all of my mm. CDs and I sold a load of records that I didn't want. What do you reckon? Have a guess. What record got got me got the highest price? Well, you don't know which ones you sold. You can have a guess. Let's so choose between three. I've got the um, inventory. Inventory. Uh, okay, my top three were interestingly. It was. Um, <laughs> I was thinking not going to get. I can't give you hints. I'll give you hints now. All right, well, yeah, give on, us a clue or something. All right, all right. Eighties indie uh, racist singer Smiths. <laughs> uh, the Smiths. Uh, Queen is dead. They gave. They. I got quite a bit of money for it. How much? Um, How much? Seven thousand yen. Is that thirty-five quid. Um, it was it was really in bad condition as well. Well, the yen's really weak at the moment. Yeah, it's about yeah about that thirty seven quid. In your face, Morrissey. You wouldn't have got any money from that transaction, would he? Um, you wouldn't have done. But it was pretty bad condition, so I was surprised I got that much for it. But um, REM didn't get much. So document they gave me one thousand six hundred. Not bad. Life's rich pageant only seven hundred, and fables of the reconstruction eight hundred yen. So not not great. Not great, and they're all they're all originals, US originals. I saw they were back on stage together at REM last week or something. They're the only band where the uh, the only reunion band where the crowd hope they don't play the early stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, they've got half good stuff and half shit stuff, haven't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like that he just sort of woke up one day and thought someone should make a documentary on those bands. <laughs> I'll do it. No, it's great, isn't it? Like you with your camper van. Yeah, bit, yeah, yeah, very much so, yeah. You've never even hammered a nail in a bit of wood before and you're going to do up a camper van. <laughs> I know, I've got to work out electrics, plumbing, heating. It's a lot of stuff to learn. guess if you've got a passion for something, you're halfway there, aren't you? Like, you can you can learn the rest as you go. Although I do think it's it's really well put together, but he's he, he's obviously sort of being modest and saying it's not the best documentary. But I think it is a good documentary, and uh, I genuinely think it's one of the best ones I've seen. Mm, like, yeah, me that, too. That kind of of uh, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, I think it's because he's so passionate about it. He's really sort of, he knew what he wanted to make and he just went out to make it. But like when he, he mm. talked in an interview about getting Ed to open up maybe for the first time about, you know, really difficult stuff. And yeah, who else mm. could have done that, right? You know? Yeah, I think it's like when we do these interviews with, with when we interview guests on here, um, I think you have to sort of, it takes sort of a 10, 15 minutes to sort of get a, rapport with someone in it and then you can mm. really sort of talk about stuff that they might not have necessarily spoken about before and get to hear their stories but yeah he obviously spent a lot of time with both bands just uh before he made the documentary just becoming friends with them which if you if you're already friends with the people that you're making the documentary with then you're gonna get them to open up to you a bit more than if it was just some random i guess i like it i like the i liked it when he said that they were his specialist subject. So it wasn't mm-hmm. hard to like, you know, put together questions and stuff because he, you know, he, he just knows everything about them anyway. So that was, so that was cool. Yeah. Cause it's done in, in retrospect, like much like we do the band themselves. He knew more about what had happened than the bands themselves. Cause you know, they <laughs> yeah. were probably doing other stuff at the time. So he yeah. Had, it was something me and Luke picked up on when we watched the documentary that the people in these animal, the, the members of these animal men, they're all very different people, right? Yeah, there wasn't the same love between them as between the guys in um, Smash. I mean, maybe yeah. there, there is that love, but that's what came across to me. Well, well I mean, Adam said that, didn't he, in the interview? He said, mm. that, you know, yeah, Smash yeah, yeah. kind of, they were a band because they were friends and they stayed friends, you know. And yeah. these animal men just kind of drifted off and drifted apart, right? So, yeah, who knows? That might they might sort of reconvene at some point. But yeah, I, I don't think that they're in that same space as, as Smash are at the moment. Yeah, because I think they're all sort of really good friends with each other still. Pop round for coffees and stuff, you know. But it came across in in the documentary as well, right? Patrick was the one that was kind of ashamed of yeah, the, mm, the speed of all the, drugs. Of the album cover. Let's talk about that. Do you remember that at the time, the these animal men controversy? Not at all. It's oh, great. I kind of. Yeah. You know. Uh, I knew that the drug speed was very much related to their whole thing, right? Yeah, that was great. I remember it well. It's interesting that he is embarrassed about that side of it, though. But I think there is the element of having, you know, he's got kids that doesn't want them to know. And I can identify yeah, it's understandable. with that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. That's that problem solved. <laughs> but it did it seem no, no. But it did seem to be more than that. It did seem to be like he was somewhere, somehow, set maybe slightly separate compared to the other band yeah. members. Maybe it wasn't. Yeah, it did yeah. seem didn't seem like he was he was as invested in it as the other other guys. Mm. Not sure. Mm. But, no, I mean, not sure but what do we know, right? Well, <laughs> he's it not didn't here, come across like that. He's not here to to confirm or deny, so we can't sort of. Just but we around. can talk about how we interpret it from the documentary. Yeah, exactly. right? That's how it came yeah, across. That, that's, right? that, that's what I got from it, yeah. Later on in the interview, his claim to fame story was very good, Adam's story. Uh, with Jarvis, how, with Paul. Yeah. And it just, on the spot, suddenly became an interviewer on television with no preparation whatsoever. A bit like that guy on the BBC. Do you remember that guy who got mistaken for the guest on the yeah. BBC? <laughs> no, what yeah. was that? He went there for an interview. This guy went there for an interview and he had this similar name to the 
I don't think he even did have a similar name to the no. guest they were having on, and they thought he was the guest. So they put, they sat him down in front of the cameras, and then just they started the BBC News. And, uh, and he was like a business had... expert or something, wasn't he? he was supposed <laughs> yeah. to be like a business expert. The first thing is he went <laughs> along with it and tried to yeah. answer the questions. <laughs> it's oh, I'll have to look that up. It's so a good fun. bit of TV. Yeah. I, I like what he was saying about how the new wave of the new wave was kind of like a dry run for Britpop. I found that quite interesting, especially in the music press. Champion a band in NME could the next week have them playing on Top of the Pops. The power of the music press back then. And it's quite, quite unfortunate. They were kind of the um, the victims, I guess, right? They were like the, the tryout for the for the... For the Britpop that, that got cast aside when you know when the mm. others the others hit, you know that's sort of with the benefit of looking back because there's no reason really why they couldn't have just been part of Britpop. I mean, the, you know, there's enough diversity in Britpop that could have included these. That's animal true. Men. Yeah, that's a good uh, point. They, I guess they were just unlucky, or maybe they'd see it as lucky. I don't know. But mm. yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I'll go along with that. And then Smash couldn't be, could they? Because they just... None of their songs could be played on the radio for a start. <laughs> that didn't matter. Yeah. And they made videos killing politicians. <laughs> yeah. But like Ed said, I don't think they ever really wanted that anyway, did they? Another note I have, you know, because I'm always, I'm always interested in money because I love money. Yeah. I fucking love I was just money, thinking... How much you know, have you got? How much money have you got? Mate, you've got more than me. Not anymore. Sing it with you, Dave. It's never enough, though, is it? It's never enough. No, it's never enough. Never no, enough. No. You think you're buying your jerkin with all that money you've got. <laughs> I don't want to spend not the be, money. Not being rude, mate, but that is a disgrace. People who have money don't like spending it. That's the point. That's why they That's why they rich, got it. They? That's why they got it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He'll wear that jerkin until it's nearly falling off his back. Well, it is. It is. <laughs> It is pretty gross. He would never buy a new one because that means spending his hard-earned cash. I know. (laughs) Taking a dent from his wad. The record companies wanted 30,000. How much of that do the the bands see? I'm I'm guessing nothing. Maybe they got something, but how can that be right? It's just robbery, isn't it? Well, we've got an upcoming interview with a collapsed lung Mm -hmm. and uh, they had their song syndicated by coca-cola for for the world cup right which is there's nothing bigger than that in terms of like you know yeah. advertising right uh well wait and listen to the interview and see how much money they made that's a great great interview i love those guys are brilliant <laughs> they were they were really fun yeah um but the, uh, spoiler it's it was it's it, it they didn't basically yeah, Dave, you'd have hated being in a band, wouldn't you? You'd have been constantly going, what's going on? Where's, where's, my, where's money? my money? I'd have rather no one got anything than getting ripped off by the record companies. I think it's, it is it is what splits most bands up, I would have thought, money. But it it's not money a... that's doing it. It's the record companies that are doing it. They're the mm. ones that are fucking them over. It's not money that's fucking them over. It's the record no. company that, that's doing it. Yeah, there it, is, you know? but there is also people like Morrissey and that who... He basically didn't want anyone else to have any money, did he? No. Apart from him. No. He's a genius. <laughs> People like Chris Martin, love or hate Coldplay, he, from the start, he splits everything four ways between it, every member of the band. 
There you go. Have you seen the uh, new mm. Idols video? Speaking of Coldplay. Yes, where they've redone. Have they actually remade that video? No, it's a deep fake. It's good, isn't it? Uh, with yeah. with their permission, with and they got they got Chris Martin to come in to come in and sing the song. So like his mouth is moving to sing their words, but it's a deep fake of the yellow video. Basically, it's really good, isn't it? It's really well done. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, I love look. that. It's one of my favourite videos, anyway. That Coldplay video because there's a really interesting story behind that video. For listeners that don't know, it's Chris Martin basically walking along the beach in the rain, right towards the camera. They planned to do this other video, like this really sort of intricate video for Yellow. Something happened and they couldn't do it for some reason, or they ran out of time. It might have been the weather, so they couldn't do the video they originally intended. I think he just said, I just want to do this, let's just try it. And that was it. They just did one take, just walking along the beach. And that, that was the one, but it was never meant to be like that. But I, I, it's one of my favourite videos too, because it's just—he looks so young in it, doesn't it he? He looks so young. I'm a bit weird like that. I, I do like the beach in the in the rain. So hang on, that's '99, isn't it? So it's within the uh, in the right. We can decade. talk about it, and we can get Chris Martin on the podcast. We can try. We can try. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's a good. It, yeah, it's good that the Idols have done that. I like it. I do like a bit of Idols. Me too. I haven't got a copy of the album yet, though. Go and have to rectify that. But going back to money, yeah, that's that. That's the reason we don't include music on the on the podcast is because you might get away with it, but you might get a record company going. We will want you to take that down because you haven't asked us permission for the music, and then you've got no choice. It's annoying, but then they are doing the right thing, really, because the artists should be getting paid for their music. Is the argument, yeah, uh, which is right. Right. So the record companies, in a way, are, they'll say they're protecting the artists, but it's whether the artists see that money or not. But that's why Luke makes the mixtape. That's why we decided to do it that way instead. Then then we go. go away with it that way because you're still paying the artists about <laughs> a third of a P for each time you listen to the song. <laughs> it's nowhere near that much. <laughs> they don't even, it's not even a fixed amount. Different artists get more than others, don't they? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Are they yeah, can negotiate so a higher mm-hmm. That documentary about Spotify on Netflix is that is I think it's really good and they talk about that. There was a point mm. where they sold out and decided to go that way. And before mm. that they were trying to be good and have it fair. But then Yeah, because when, when Spotify came out it was like it was supposed to be good for the music because they'd got rid of like Things like LimeWire and stuff, haven't they? And what's that other one? Um, Napster. 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 They sort of killed that off. So they were like, oh, there's Spotify. It's really good. It's just good for the record companies again, isn't it? Not not the yeah. artists. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, I haven't seen Vince from Main Street driving around in a flashy car this week, so you can't have made that much out of the <laughs> increase know, in streams. I mean, a band like Main Street are probably getting zero per play. All right. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> for now. For now. But yeah, that's not right, is it? You should get the same per play as Taylor Swift. But the thing is, Dave, what you don't understand about basic maths is zero plays means zero. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I generally thought everyone got paid the same. I didn't realise that was the case. I mean, you can't, we can't, not talk about the crankies. Big was moment. it the book he recommended, wasn't it? Okay. So well, after that interview, I went online to try to get a copy of the book. 
Oh yeah, when I said that, I wasn't I wasn't trying to be I wasn't doing a bit. I seriously 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 my childhood ended the day I found out the truth about the crankies. I'm not I'm not trying to be funny now. I'm really serious. So your childhood ended when you were nine. Yeah. The day I found out yeah. that we we Jimmy Cranky <laughs> was not a cheeky Scottish schoolboy. My childhood ended. That was it. That was it was worse than finding out about Father Christmas. If all of the adults can conspire to make to make you believe that, they can do anything, can't they? Well, yeah, they made us believe that Jimmy Savile wasn't a paedophile at the same time. You could make people believe anything back in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I think no one no one over nine really thought that it was a, a cheeky Scottish schoolboy. But um, <laughs> they did. It was I was devastated. I wouldn't I wouldn't have it. I wouldn't believe it. I was. It's almost like in denial. Terrible moment. Anyway, so after that interview, I went online to try to get a book, but it was out of print. And it, like all the copies were like there was uh, like like fifty quid basically, like for a copy of the book because it's out of print. Mm. Then, just yesterday, when I was preparing um, for for this to record this today, I thought oh, I'll have I'll have another quick look, see if any secondhand copies are available. <laughs> and um, just last, well, February the first, there's a twentieth anniversary edition has been released. So ordered a copy, arrived a couple of hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> Look at him. Give us a close-up. <laughs> Funny way of life. Fan dabby dozy. How did you not realise that wasn't a boy? <laughs> I mean, like it a wasn't. Boy. <laughs> Looking at her now, she does just look like his wife. Kid. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, if anyone's been looking for it for a while, like like I was, it's just been released. Twentieth anniversary um, edition. Look at them now. <laughs> Are they really swingers? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> said, oh, yeah. Or was that a joke? No, 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 no. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know that. She looks less like Nicola Sturgeon on the back of the book. <laughs> <laughs> you have to let us know all about it. I will, I will. I'll read that in a week. I will. Oh, here we go. We had great support from fellow pros too. Bobby Davro. Do you think he's, is he a pro? I guess he is. Bobby Davro oh, yeah, texted to ask why he had never been invited to any of our swingers parties. Then I had other friends texting us saying they were glad they'd never been invited. These swinger parties must have been something else. It had all been a thing of the past. Wee Jimmy may have been a, a dirty wee boy, but he'd been on his best behaviour ever since. <laughs> yeah, so if he went to a, a cranky swinger party, if you got, if you got, we Jimmy Crank does that mean you're like a pedo? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Meanwhile, Stan Boardman has taken my chili and stuffed it up Al's arse. So now he's running around naked with his arse on fire. The stoned dog, uh, Doug, thinks this is a great laugh and chases after Al, crashing into everything, trying to lick the chili out of his arse. <laughs> Fucking brilliant. <laughs> Funny way of life, ain't it? Eh? Although I was reading um, a couple of weeks ago, I was reading um, um, Tim Burgess's autobiography, Telling Stories. And um, in that, he talks about how they used to blow cocaine up each other's ass. <laughs> Did it work? Yeah, well, apparently so. Apparently, like the, the nerve endings are more sensitive. And he explained how to do it. Like, you have to like, make a cone and like explain how to do it and everything. I mean, we've got that interview with with uh, 
Pierre from The Wanna Die is coming up, where we talk about <laughs> yeah. similar sort of yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it all, it's all going on, isn't it? I'll report back next week on the crankiest book. Yeah, do that. All right, so that's it for this one. Uh, thanks so much to Adam for coming on. Uh, we had a lovely chat. I hope you had it enjoyed yourself. If you have enjoyed this, then please do give it a thumbs up. Leave us a comment below. Let us know if you watched the documentary. If you haven't, then go and check it out. It's only a pound. It's definitely worth a watch. If you're listening, then please do remember to rate this. Leave a review. Um, it is really important you do this for us because then it helps us get the the show found by other people so if you could just take the time leave us a review give us a rating we'd really really appreciate it before that um i was going to say if you haven't uh, already um listened to our interview with ed smash then go back into the archives and have a listen to that because it's a really really good one mixtape um nearly done um lots of uh, smash lots of these animal men a bit of hip-hop in there some pulp elastica Oh, it's Britpop-tastic, isn't it? Britpop-tastic, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's looking good so far. Anyway, that's it for this one. Dave? See you in a minute.